Hello, and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Pilconis. This is the first recording in our COVID-19 special edition series, where we will bring you timely information on factors that construction companies need to consider as they strive for business continuity in these challenging and unprecedented times. The last few weeks, there's been a remarkable amount of legislative activity on Capitol Hill as Congress responds to the coronavirus. First, in early March, Congress passed approximately an $8 billion supplemental appropriations measure. The focus was on boosting funding for testing and treatment. Shortly after that, Congress passed a much larger bill that among other things, created a new mandatory reimbursable paid leave program for employers in an attempt to keep employees on the payroll while businesses closed. Then last night, the Senate passed a massive $2 trillion economic recovery package. It provides significant tax relief to businesses, a huge infusion of money into the lending system, plus another supplemental appropriation for numerous federal programs. Senate staff has announced self-quarantining and staying out of session until late April, but already there's talk of working on a phase four upon return. So with us today are three of AGC's lobbyists who have been working day, night, and weekends with Congress on AGC member priorities throughout the legislative process. So they're here today with us to provide an overview of what Congress has produced and what could be coming around the corner. So I wanna welcome all of them and I'm going to invite them to say hello and tell you a little bit about who they are. So Matt, let's start with you. Hi, my name is Matthew Turkstra and I'm the AGC's Director of Tax, Fiscal Affairs and Accounting. Awesome, thanks Matt. Jim, how about you? Sure, thanks. Jim Young with AGC of America and uh, the Senior Director of Congressional Relations and cover a lot of labor and employment issues. Thank you, Jim. Murphy, your turn. Hi, I'm Murphy Barrett. I'm the Vice President for Congressional Relations for Infrastructure Advancement. Thanks, Murphy. Jim, my first question's for you. Can you give everybody listening just a real high-level summary of the new mandates for the employer-fronted federal paid leave. And what we're gonna be talking about is the emergency sick leave and the emergency paid family and medical leave. Sure, thanks, Leah. And I will try and do it high level and try and do it quickly as I think anyone listening to this or paying attention over the last week or so is a very complicated issue. It's a new program and it's included, as Leah mentioned, in the second phase of the Coronavirus Acts by Congress, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the um, FFCRA. Um, so it does have two provisions in it, uh, two new provisions offering paid family leave and sick leave. Uh, really quickly, um, effective April 1st through the end of the year, employers will have to provide uh, family leave and sick leave. Uh, it will cover, the family leave is a little different. It covers employees that have been employed for at least 30 days prior. The sick leave is covers any employee uh, that's worked for a day. 
Um, and it covers any employer with less than 500 employees. And the reason they chose 500 employees is uh, there's been a number of studies over the recent years that most employers over 500 are already offer these type of leaves. Uh, we are awaiting more guidance on uh, some of the issues surrounding the definition of employees to as you count up to 500. Uh, who qualifies for these type of leaves? It covers uh, any employee that's caring for their uh, for a child uh, that's less than 18 years old uh, whose school or daycare has been closed. Um, and that's on the family leave. And on the sick leave, it covers any uh, employee that's been quarantined, awaiting a medical diagnosis, um, and also caring for a quarantined child or whose uh, child is out of school or daycare. There's also a number of things we're waiting for from the Department of Labor, uh, mostly on how it applies to um, uh, 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 stay, in, stay indoor um, policies and, and what defines an essential businesses. Uh, those are two sort of outstanding questions. We're waiting for more guidance and hope to have that, or I expect we'll have that before April 1st. Um, and then how long these policies take place? Uh, for the family leave, uh, an employee can take leave up to 12 weeks. And on the sick leave side, they can take it up to two weeks. And what makes this important is they're going to be receiving um, their salary or a portion of their salary during this time. On the family leave, they uh, for the first 10 days, it will be unpaid. Then after 10 days, they will receive two-thirds of their pay capped at $200 per day or $10,000 in the aggregate. Uh, on the sick leave, um, they receive their pay at, at, at capped at $511 per day or $5,110 in the aggregate. Uh, this is, um, and they also on the sick leave can receive some pay uh, for caregivers that aligns itself with the family leave. So it's sort of complicated there, Leah. I don't know, hopefully that made a little sense dividing the family leave and sick leave together. Um, and then Matt's gonna talk a little bit, I hope in a minute on how the employers can receive tax credits for employees taking the family leave and for employees taking the sick leave. And before he does that, I just wanna hit on two uh, exemptions in the in the law uh, again we're still waiting for more guidance from the department of labor they issued some yesterday they issued mm -hmm. some uh, about 20 minutes before we started taping this uh, uh this this podcast i think we're calling it um yeah. uh, they, they just did it about 20 minutes ago so we haven't had a, a lot of time to look over that um but there are provisions in there that smaller employers, so you have the 500 employee threshold, and then employers uh, under 50 employees can petition to the Secretary of Labor to be exempted from that. And then there's some other provisions buried in there. But I will point everyone to the AGC of America website, right. where we have a tremendous amount of uh, materials and resources on this. And then uh, just this week, on Monday and Tuesday of this week, we held uh, two 90-minute podcasts with some great uh, labor attorneys that got into the weeds um, on the tax credits and, and the lead mandates and everything else. And there's recordings of that on the AGC website. I think was gonna hit on the tax issues. Yeah, but um, first, Jim, just to clarify. So the deadline is April 1st. Yes. Right, okay. And um, you mentioned the guidance. So there's some that came out earlier this week, more that just came out recently. Um, the things that we recorded this week, you, uh, webinars, right? Two webinars as part of yes. our eight part um, yep. AGC COVID-19 webinar series. 
Yeah, the information on the website is tremendous. You did such a great job putting that together. Uh, I think everything you covered is reviewed in a chart that's a nice kind of at a glance um, summary. So thank you so much for explaining that. Um, Matt, why don't you um, pick it up from there and talk about the tax credits that are associated um, with the paid leave program that Jim mentioned? Thanks, Leah. So uh, as Jim mentioned, the, this is a quite a, a new and rather hefty uh, mandate on employers to, to pay for all of this uh, leave uh, at a time when uh, construction employers are, are perhaps either slowing down or in some cases stopped altogether due to shelter-in-place orders or, or the like. Um, so they did provide a mechanism to, um, to reimburse employers for this uh, new mandate, and it's in the form of a refundable tax credit that is reimbursed through the employer share of social security taxes that they play, uh, that they pay into every uh, every quarter. So if if folks see a line item on their paycheck for FICA, this is the FICA portion on the employer side, a 6.2% tax on wages. And uh, the, we, we did express some concerns throughout the process that the reimbursement wouldn't necessarily be quick enough to try to get the money back into the employer's hands to reimburse them for all this money that's going out the door. Um, but uh, the, and, and it's a problem that Treasury is acutely, acutely aware of, and they are trying everything that they can to get the money uh, as quickly as possible into the hands of the employers. Um, and that in, includes a, a slight change that was made in the uh, legislation that passed last night that you mentioned, the, the so-called phase three legislation that would allow the secretary to actually advance money into an escrow account for the employer um, that uh, in advance of them uh, anticipating that they would have to pay for, for this uh, leave. So um, all told, it's, it's, uh, it, it's probably going to be a little clunky, and we're we're a little concerned about uh, how it gets implemented. But um, know that that eventually you will get reimbursed. Uh, we just hope that it doesn't too severely in, uh, impact uh, uh, employers' cash flow. Thanks, Matt. Murphy, I have a question for you. Uh, what sort of federal funding has Congress provided? in the package last night to combat the immediate impacts of the COVID outbreak on nation's infrastructure? Well, thanks, Leah, for that question. So last night, um, as everybody mentioned, phase three passed the United States Senate. The U.S. House is expected to uh, vote on it on Friday. Um, the phase three legislation did not provide huge amounts of federal funding to improve the nation's infrastructure. Instead, it really was focused on addressing the immediate, most pressing impacts of the COVID-19 outbreak on the infrastructure and the transportation system in general. Um, so what it did was it provided federal agencies with additional funding um, for their operations and administrative expenses, and also is trying to assist certain transportation partners, airlines, airports, public transit agencies, with additional funding to either support their operations and in some cases mitigate the impacts of any lost revenue. Um, specifically, the U.S. Department of Transportation received approximately $6 million 
in additional federal funding to help with certain modal administrations, operations, and administrative expenses. Um, the airline industry has received both um, $32 billion in direct grants for air carriers and other related businesses. Um, and there is also loans and loan guarantees for a broadly defined aviation industry, which includes both the passenger and cargo airlines and other businesses that are essential to our national security. Um, the other sorts of transportation partners that received some additional federal funding in this legislation include the airports. They received approximately $10 billion that will be provided through the existing airport improvement program so that they can maintain operations. And public transit agencies are going to receive $25 billion um, to fund operating expenses and address any lost revenue from decreased um, public use of those systems. Uh, Congress also provided Amtrak, um, our passenger rail um, system, with about a billion dollars. Some of the other more notable provisions in the legislation include um, a long standing priority of AGCs, which is to ensure that the Harbor Maintenance Trust Fund's revenue that comes in on an annual basis is um, fully spent each year for its intended purpose, which is the or excuse me, the maintenance of the nation's ports and harbors. Okay. okay, thanks for that great summary, Murphy. So, and before we get too far down the road, so that's in the phase three um, Senate bill that right before midnight last night passed. And just to close the loop on that, so what are the next steps with, with that bill? So we expect the House to take up that legislation on, on Friday. The House actually went in into recess a while ago, and so... Um, the House wanted to give members of Congress the option of having 24 hours before they considered that legislation. So that's why we're expecting the vote on Friday and hopefully it'll pass under unanimous consent, but an individual member of Congress uh, on the House side could stand up and request a recorded vote. So stay tuned on the House activity. Okay, all right, so busy next uh, 24 hours. Um, Matt, let's let's talk about a little bit more about uh, what's in that phase three. We've got a lot of uncertainty right now with the construction industry, and you know the hope is that these aid packages, both what what we were talking about with phase three, but then also phase two, that they're going to provide some critical tax relief and some access to capital that's hopefully going to help uh, contractors continue their operations, that they're going to be able to pay their workforce. So break it down for us. Like what are, what are we seeing um, that's in phase three? And then is there more that you want to add that was in, in phase two? I know you touched on um, the paid leave stuff, but I, I know there's more you want to talk about. I'll, I'll focus primarily, Leah, on phase three um, the and the tax relief and the lending provisions that were in that. They were really quite um, quite large and and uh, immense uh, in in scale. Um, the The tax relief really was focused, if you were to to look at it from a thirty thousand foot level, on providing uh, employers with uh, additional cash flow uh, or at least mitigating any cash flow challenges that they have as well as providing them with additional liquidity through, uh, through, through some other measures, which I'll touch on in a second. Uh, the most significant uh, probably uh, provision that they passed was a delay in the payment of uh, employer payroll taxes. Again, you heard me refer to that uh, earlier about the, the uh, refund mechanism through the refundable tax credit. 
but the, the legislation that passed last night also included a delay in uh, how long employers are, are liable for paying that. Normally those payments are due quarterly. Um, and this uh, allows you to defer payments of them uh, through the end of the year and then pay them back subsequently over the next two years. Um, so that's that's a fairly significant uh, benefit to employers, I think, in, in at least not having that, uh, you know, it's, it's one one tax that they won't have to pay immediately in, in this environment. The second provision was something that AGC strongly advocated for, which is the inclusion of something called a net operating loss carryback. And that it, that allows employers to uh, basically go back and amend their previous year's returns. Uh, in this case, in the legislation that passed up to five years ago, and any tax liability that they had in any of those uh, previous years return if they if they have a loss this year, which we expect many of our, our members will have, they can go back and amend those returns and basically uh, count their the, their loss against the gains from previous years. Uh, it's a good and effective way for for uh, businesses to get money into the business um, uh, by by using this mechanism. Uh, there were also some some smaller bore, but also important things that were related to provisions that passed in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017. Uh, one provision uh, would basically penalize employers to who take out uh, debt and the interest payments on that debt. Um, that's a obviously we expect people will have a, a higher ratio of debt to revenue uh, as we go through this uh, th this period. And uh, so that was temporarily uh, relieved a little bit. Um, there was also another provision that that again dealt with net operating losses and how pass through businesses are able to carry those losses forward. Um, and then uh, something that was a little uh, unrelated to cash flow, but also something that AGC has strongly advocated for, was a fix in. Uh, in, that that was a technical glitch in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act called the Improvement Qualified Improvement Property uh, Depreciation uh, Schedule uh, glitch, or it's sometimes called the Retail Glitch, and that basically uh, unintentionally raised the cost of doing construction projects on things like commercial property, restaurants, and retailers, so that you could write off the cost of those projects in one year versus what they unintentionally did was to, to string that out over 39 years. So hopefully going forward, A, you'll have uh, retail uh, you know, property owners be able to go back and amend prior year returns uh, to get some additional cash into their, their businesses, uh, but also stimulate uh, construction in that sector going forward. There were also a number of lending provisions uh, uh, in there uh, that, that I think will be equally important. They appropriated $350 billion to the uh, Small Business Administration to administer a number of small business loans. Generally, this applies to employers that are 500 employees or less, uh, but it, you, you could qualify uh, un, under a different um, revenue test using the SBA definitions for businesses, um, um, which is broken down by NAICS codes. The, uh, that that's capped at $10 million or two and a half times payroll. And basically, if you if you're an employer and you acquire this loan and you uh, meet the criteria, which is that you have to use it for payroll 
rent, utilities, mortgage interest, um, that they that loan will be forgiven. So it's a loan that basically turns into a grant. And uh, we, we are very hopeful that this could be of, of significant benefit in, uh, in the, these uh, troubling times. Uh, there's a much larger uh, $454 billion uh, economic stabilization fund that's also being set up uh, with the Treasury Department working in conjunction with the Federal Reserve that uh, will be used to provide loans and loan guarantees through the commercial banking sector to uh, critical industries and that um, that that we are, are hopeful will be utilized for larger members. There's not a cap on the size of the businesses that can be uh, that can access those loans. However, those are those are loans that will not be forgiven. So that those are strictly, you know, uh, loans that are met, meant to serve as a bridge loan to kind of get us over the hump as the uh, economy is slow downs before it begins to pick back up again. Thanks so much for keeping on top of all of it and for breaking it all down for us. Jim, I want to come back to you with another question. Can you share with us what worker benefits and protections did you see in, in the CARES Act that, that the Senate passed last night? Sure, thanks. And um, as Murphy said, the, the bill last night was not so much a stimulus bill. It was really a, a rescue bill of the of the American worker and and, and, and businesses is more what it was. Um, it was a little light on provisions for employees. Um, we were pushing a number of uh, health care provisions and um, other retirement provisions, and the bill didn't didn't really touch on many of those. It was really heavy on unemployment insurance, extending unemployment insurance to uh, self-employed or independent contractors, which is sort of a deviation from any sort of federal policy in the past. So it was really, um, that was really the bulk of a lot of the employee provisions. On the healthcare side, there were a couple changes to how FS, FSAs and HSAs will operate allowing them for the first time since the uh, Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, allowing them to be used for purchase of uh, over-the-counter medicines uh, and things like that. So that, that is a positive sign. Um, but it, it was, like I said, it was pretty light in that area. We expect um, one thing that the bill did do is it kicked the can down the road, which Congress does often, on some Medicare and Medicaid issues uh, to the end of November, November 30th. So. Not that Congress has done legislating on the stimulus side to deal with uh, COVID-19, but again, they're going to have to do something this fall during the lame duck session on the healthcare side. So we should see more policy making at that time. All right, thanks, Jim. Um, Murphy, I know that your your whole team uh, is is just constantly working to try to call on the federal government to broadly invest in America's infrastructure. What are what are the shortcomings of of the bill that passed last night? Um, what are the shortcomings you see and things that that Congress will need to address through additional relief legislation? So what we're expecting is depending on how the implementation goes of these prior three phases of legislation, along with sort of what happens outside of Washington DC as it relates to the broader economy and the American people as as this epidemic continues. You know, that will probably prompt further legislation from Congress to deal with those impacts. 
We're expecting at some point another phase of the legislation to possibly deal with the longer term economic recovery that will be needed as a result of the outbreak. And that would be where AGC will be pushing hard to increase infrastructure investment, which has sort of a strong proven track record of providing long term economic benefits to the economy and also sort of improving Americans quality of life. So the types of things that we would like to see Congress consider as it relates to infrastructure investment would be additional federal dollars to existing accounts, the Highway Trust Fund, the Army Corps of Engineers, Civil Works Program, the Military Construction Program, Clean and Drinking Water State Revolving Fund programs. And we would also like Congress to continue to move forward with its respective legislative processes for multi-year reauthorization legislation, most notably the Highway and Transit Reauthorization Bill. Um, the current law that those programs are operating under right now will expire on September 30th. So we really think if Congress could move forward on legislation like that, we would see those sort of long-term economic benefits achieved. Thanks, Murphy. Thanks for your great work on that. Jim, anything else that you want to wrap up with that you're that you're working on? Sure. So just quickly, um, we're looking towards phase four, which has been sort of teased in the media as early as this morning by um, uh, Democrat leaders. Uh, what we really want to see is some help for the on the multi-employer pension side and the multi-employer health and welfare side. As you can imagine, um, over the first 10 weeks of this year, these pension plans are down significantly um, with the market uh, downturn. And also that these plans, as many know, are funded through hours worked. And with diminishing hours worked, we're in a real, uh, it's gonna be a real concern moving forward. So we're looking for an immediate uh, direct funding of the, um, uh, the, the PBGC, which is a federal agency that oversees some of these multi-employer plans looking for direct funding there, looking for the plans to be able to actuarial smooth these plans that would really help out the what were healthy plans only a couple weeks ago. And a longstanding agency priority is adoption or authorization of a new plan design or composite plans is really what we're looking for. Um, we hope to see some of that in the next bill as we uh, not just have the stimulus effect of more infrastructure, but um, at that point, we're going to see these plans have a more of a, uh, we're going to be able to see the, the impact of the plans on the market returns and the diminished hours. And the same goes for the healthcare side. We were really disappointed. There was nothing in this package to address the multi-employer health side. Uh, we're looking for some COBRA uh, premium assistance provisions and funding. Uh, some of those were in bills in the um, Great Recession in 2009-2010. Uh, we were hoping to see that again that fell out very late in the process. Um, so again, those are really provisions that will help uh, signatory contractors out there. Well, thank you all for your tremendous work and, and dedication and, and all the time and effort that you continue to put in. The whole entire AGC staff has been working very hard for the membership and you're all just incredible in what you do. Sorry for any of the little technical or sound glitches you might have heard. As you can imagine, we're all calling in from different locations, but wanna thank you all for listening. This has been a special episode of the AGC Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app, or you can stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org slash ConstructorCast. Stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. And thank you all for listening to us to stay informed.